If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.
It's the Osmo NFL DFS strategy show. I guess we're calling this the Saturday strategy show. A strategy show. We don't have a we don't have a real name for this. Nothing official. It's just a new show that we've come up with on the spot. No need to do a start shit show. Uh, start shit show. That that came out wrong. <laughs> start sit show with Kyle and I. Hey, you, you don't need to do. We don't need to do either of those because with just a couple of weeks left in the season, most people's year leagues are over. So instead of doing the start sit show, we're doing a Saturday tournament strategy show because we have a two game slate on Saturday. So Kyle, now that I've totally crushed that intro right there. <laughs> how do you have two games slate on Saturday and how do you approach a two game slate as opposed to a main slate? We've had a couple of them so far this year, but obviously it's a, it sets up a little bit different in terms of strategy when there's just, you know, less options on the slate. Yeah. I mean, even on what was it? Uh, Monday night, Lamar Jackson gave us a start shit show. Boom. Nailed it. No, in terms of, uh, <laughs> in terms of these slates, I think they oftentimes remind me much more so of, of showdown slates than they honestly do of main slates because Outside of the actual like physical roster construction of it, physical as if it's a real thing, outside of the positional roster construction, you do end up fighting a lot of the same battles where you have certain players who are owned by 60, 70, 80% of the field. If it's the right spot, you have like uh, scenarios where you're fighting not to be duped. That is one of your primary goals in large tournaments is that. Well, if I'm going to say that I've built this lineup and it has a very, like, you know, any chance has a very small opportunity to actually take down first, I don't want to win that lottery and then have to split the first through 17th prizes because that immediately crushes my EV. So I think it's about finding the right spots to not only like you'll have to find some chalk to fade essentially if you want to build non-duped lineups, but just building in different structures of lineups. Think like double tight ends is possible or like onslaughts. I know it was the Houston Texans. I think that was Thanksgiving giving or something yeah it was texans versus detroit the optimal lineup and there was like a 1v1 away that won the millimaker maker from the actual mathematical optimal was like half the lineup was texans it featured like one or two players from the next game outright it was just that the texans scored so many points that you wanted to get all of them in, even the seemingly like crappy texans plays so i think maybe there are just some interesting edges to still be ironed out in those aspects of building like very unique builds and non-dupe lineups I'll tell you one contrarian strategy I will not be utilizing for this Saturday slate, and that is playing backup quarterbacks. I know that the, I, I do wonder if after what happened with Marcus Mariota and all that on Thursday night, I do wonder because there are people talking about it in the YouTube chat where people are debating, oh, is that a smart move? Was it was it dumb? I mean, in hindsight, sure, the guy won half a million dollars. I'm sure he's not complaining. But it's still overall not something I would consider to be a good strategy on a smaller slate. And it's something we were talking about before the show. And Here's, here's the issue. Even though on occasion we do see starting quarterbacks get hurt in showdown, the backup comes in, plays decently, but there are so many things you need to get correctly in order for that to work. Number one, you have to obviously guess the quarterback that's going to get hurt because it could be either starting quarterback that ends up getting hurt in the game. Number two, the backup actually actually has to play well. The backup quarterback is a backup quarterback for a reason. It, there's a very good chance that Marcus Mariota could have came into last game and just ended up sucking and, and not played well. And then you have a backup quarterback who comes in. It doesn't even matter. You have, you have this very small percentage chance of something hitting. It happens, and you could still end up being wrong about it in terms of that player being a good fantasy producer. And then you also have to get everything else right in the lineup. So I know that a lot of people might look at some you know one-game slates or two-game slates and think like, hey, maybe playing backup quarterbacks is a decent strategy. It is such a long shot to happen. I think it's such a difficult thing to hit on that I, even if it won once you know last night, and maybe we'll see it happen you know once per season or something like that, it is still such a long shot to happen that I, I think it's just not something that I'd ever want to invest money into. W- what thoughts do you have on Marcus Mariota winning somebody half a million dollars last night? Yeah, one like we talk about this like million maker lineups that we think are maybe less than optimal. Like regardless of what you think of the strategy, congrats to the guy who bought a lineup that won him a ton of money. So no no slight on whoever won. It's exactly what you said. Like I'm okay shooting for very minimal odds. I think like that is the the ideal tournament play is something that has minimal odds of happening, but the payout is worth choose like chasing at those odds. And I think because of what you said, because you have to parlay so many different things. Okay. The backup gets in, you've picked the right backup. The backup gets in for enough of the game that it actually matters. If he comes in the fourth quarter and throws a touchdown, like a touchdown for like 50 yards from a backup, honestly might not even be enough because DraftKings prices up their backups. Like both, you know, they're not, priced at like on, on showdown, you know, a thousand dollars, but on main slates, it's not like they're super cheap either. You still have to get more than just the backup, even getting in right. Then you have to build the rest of the lineup around it. And the backup has to play. Well, I think my odds of finding different parlays, like 
you know, on this late. It's that uh, X quarterback goes out, goes for 300 yards. Two of them go to the player I stacked with him. The opposing player I stacked goes for 100 and a touchdown. I think my parlay of that has infinitely higher odds than the parlay that you have to make by playing a backup quarterback. Yeah, I think there's this thing where people just think like, hey, if somebody wins a GPP, and I know this is always going to sound like sour grapes, but there's always a thing where we'll see it all the time on Twitter. Somebody be like, oh, that was a bad lineup that won a million dollars or whatever. Or you'll see somebody on Twitter that posts a million dollar lineup. And there's just people on Twitter with eight followers that start giving that person to build better lineups. Now, I'm not going that far except to say that I don't necessarily think that because of what happened yesterday that we should be looking to play backup quarterbacks on two-game or single-game slates. I still don't think it's a particularly good strategy and it's something that's going to lose so much more often than it's going to win. And then even the the times I said like it hits, you're not even guaranteed to win that big payday and it could still end up losing money on that individual night anyway. So you need a whole lot to break correctly for it to work out in your favor. So now we can start talking about these two games on Saturday. But before we do, guys, do us a favor. Like the video, give us a thumbs up, and please subscribe to the YouTube channel because this is how you can find out when all our shows are going live. And not just our show that Kyle and I are doing here, but lists of other shows on the channel coming up today, like On the Contrary coming up later with Lofi and Alex Baker, and they also have a special guest. So subscribe, hit the notification bell, and you can find out when our shows are going live, when everybody else on the channel show is going live. It is the best way for us to help you, help you, help yourself, subscribe to the YouTube channel and find out when all the shows are happening. So let's start talking about these two games that we have tomorrow, Kyle, starting with the quarterback position, uh, obviously two games, so just four guys to choose from. Uh, let's let's start at the top with uh, Aaron Rodgers. He's the highest priced quarterback on the slate, although not the chalk. The chalk is going to be Josh Allen. Does it make sense to you that despite uh, Josh Allen coming in a little cheaper and a tougher matchup against the Denver Broncos, that he's actually the highest owned quarterback on the slate over Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, the thing we've seen with, I think, the past two uh, doubleheader slates was the Thanksgiving one. It was supposed to be a tripleheader, and the final game got called off or postponed. The next one was the Monday as a result of the postponements. Is that those slates, you really were kind of struggling to even use all of the salary cap. Like, everyone can just build the best lineups because the way the pricing was kind of soft. We have, like, we are loaded up with studs on this slate. So I get the perspective that people are saying that extra $600 going from Rodgers to Allen actually can buy me something. We haven't seen that on previous slates, like doubleheader slates, where the extra money you save by pivoting off of the expensive quarterback, the expensive receiver, whomever, that typically didn't get you more than like one small advantage at a different position. This is actually a slate where where salary constraints are real. Now, because of that, the field is clearly pivoting to Josh Allen over Aaron Rodgers. And like you said, all the factors are there for that game to be just an overall less exciting game to target. So I think in terms of my approach, I would be taking Aaron Rodgers. I think it does cost you $600 more, and this is a slate where that matters. But at lowered ownership and with, a, I would say, basically negligibly different projection we have it's about three points maybe not negligibly different but i think a close enough projection that the range of outcomes are similar it wouldn't surprise me if aaron Rodgers went out and outscored josh allen it wouldn't surprise me if josh allen went out and outscored aaron Rodgers. i don't think there's a massive difference because of that i'm probably going to take the ownership discount and continue to try to build a more unique lineup in a game that looks like it'd be the better game to target with someone like Rodgers. Yeah, and then we have a, a pretty big uh, gap in the price tiers because we got Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen as the more expensive quarterbacks, also the two that are picking up most of the ownership. And then on the cheap end, we have Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. Drew Locke, who has generally not been good this year. I don't know if our friend Drop Rose is in the chat, but the world's biggest Drew Locke stand, he will always come in and he will cape for Drew Locke. And every week will come in and tell us that Drew Locke is actually, in fact, the best play on the slate or something along those lines. Uh, so it doesn't look like he's here. We could slander Drew Locke all we want. Drew Locke has generally not been very good this year, with the exception being last week. Uh, I think the best game of his career, he completed 21 of 27 passes, just under 300 yards, threw for four touchdown passes. But he is coming in as the lowest-owned quarterback on the entire slate between Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. Similar price uh, ownership, though. We've got Teddy Bridgewater nearly 20% and Drew Locke at about 10%. So if you're going to save money with one of these quarterbacks, who is it going to be? I'll, I'll lead by saying this. It is Teddy Bridgewater for me. I think this is a slightly more favorable game environment against the Packers. I think that there's a pretty good chance that Green Bay gets up early and pretty quickly. Uh, Green Bay favored by eight points. So I think this sets up to be a spot where the Panthers really have to throw the ball to get back into it. So if I'm saving money with a quarterback, I lean towards Teddy Bridgewater. How about you? 
Yeah, I kind of agree. I think basically everything you said, we've seen Drew Locke for the most part be a, a pretty below average quarterback in terms of like yards per attempt, touchdown rate, all the things we look at for building fantasy points. It just hasn't been awfully appealing. Whereas Teddy Bridgewater, on the other hand, has actually performed decently well this year, all things considered. He even has like a... a Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Small amount of rushing equity. His game environment, it's not only is it a good game environment, it is the best total of the entire week. A 52-point total leads all games. So if the $200 is really, that's all it is. It's $200. It's not like a massive discrepancy in their prices. You don't save a ton of money if you're paying down by going from Bridgewater to Lock. And you don't save, I don't think it's a ton of ownership. I think there's two choices. You pay for one of the expensive quarterbacks who's also high-owned, and you force yourself to build unique lineups elsewhere, or you go with the cheap guys. If there's not much of a difference in ownership, I think that 7% on a slate like this is not massive. The price is not massive. I'm going to take the player with the higher implied team total who's played better this year and plays in a better game environment. I wouldn't be getting as cute to go down to someone like Drew Locke when an alternative and Teddy Bridgewater is just as good, if not better, for similar price, similar ownership. And then I guess one other thing to talk about with the quarterback position before we move on Let's say you're playing multiple lineups. How do you think you want to split up your exposure amongst these quarterbacks? So do you even think there's a need to go to the cheap guys? Or would you rather just go up to Josh Allen and Allen and, uh, and Aaron Rodgers to get the upside? Is there is there a real need to go with the cheap guys to save salary this week? I don't know if I'd say like absolute need to do that. I think you can still build very viable rosters just by playing the expensive guys. But I think there's a desire in tournaments because of the ownership, because I'm looking at probably half of half of the field or half as many people in any given tournament are going to be playing Teddy Bridgewater as they will be playing Aaron Rodgers, even less than half versus Josh Allen. So no, I don't think you are half, like, I don't think you have to do that. I think you can still build very good rosters, but you open yourself up to a lot of possibilities by playing Teddy Bridgewater that the Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers lineup simply don't have because you can play a lot of the studs after that. So you get yourself a unique roster construction by saving thousands by moving down and you've saved on ownership. So I think you open yourself up to the possibility of a unique lineup that because I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is actually a bad play. Like I think he's perfectly fine, even without considering the fact that he's low owned in the context of a two game slate, we're going to call what he is low owned in the context of that slate. That's good. But even regardless, I think at his price, he's a decent value play as well. Like if we had this on like a main slate, I'd like, Oh, Teddy Bridgewater, not bad. Now, given the context of having very few alternatives, that just boosts the opportunity cost of fading someone like Teddy Bridgewater. So in terms of my allocation right now, my, my lean is to go with Rogers primarily and anything I don't have of Rogers, I will have Teddy Bridgewater. And I'm going to make it a point to be over the field on Teddy Bridgewater pretty significantly because I think it, it's pretty easy to basically put Teddy Bridgewater in a lineup, make a bunch of Teddy Bridgewater lineups and cover a lot of the, the bases of just the rest of the good plays kind of work out. Yeah, and then talking about some of these skill position players, we'll talk about the running back. Something else that I'll bring up, at least in terms of cash games, why I think it makes the most sense to pay up for the quarterbacks, is we don't have a ton of expensive skill position players on this slate. So starting with the running back position, the most expensive running back is Aaron Jones at 7300 and not even the guy that we have projected for the most fantasy points. That is Mike Davis, who comes in at 6500 on DraftKings. And then on FanDuel, Mike Davis is also projected for our uh, uh, second highest projected running back on FanDuel at uh, 7,400. So on DraftKings, Mike Davis, the highest projected running back because his PPR upside and then only half point PPR on FanDuel. So Aaron Jones is projected higher, but still neither of them are massively expensive. So it's a spot where we don't necessarily have to save a ton of money at the quarterback position, at least for cash games. So which do you prefer between Mike Davis and Aaron Jones? If you're going to go to one of the more expensive running backs, which do you think makes for the better play? I think just in terms of like the a raw play without viewing it from like a, a really contrarian tournament lens, 
it does make more sense to go with someone like Mike Davis. I mean, you said it. We haven't projected for more or if not the same. He's cheaper. And we've seen just so much of Devontae Adams. Like he is like a, a touchdown fiend. He's going to have one of the better touchdown seasons on a per game basis since he missed a couple of games in like recent memory. So I think given the amount of touchdowns he steals, both in, in terms of total touchdowns and red zone work specifically, it does make it so that I think Aaron Jones is like a soft leverage play potentially off of someone like Devontae Adams. But that's for like crazy tournament strats, which I'm maybe I'll be doing some of that. But in terms of if I just think one player or the other is better, it does seem to be almost certainly Mike Davis. And that receiving role that you talked about, you know, even though on FanDuel, maybe if you're playing FanDuel, it's not as valuable. It still does hold a lot of value in terms of what it gives you, even if it's just the yardage that it gives you. The receptions are certainly worth half, but the yardage is still useful as well. And if they're going to be, which I mean, obviously Vegas does have them as eight and a half point underdogs. That is the perfect scenario for 70% of Christian McCaffrey to go out and have an incredible day on DraftKings. I don't even need to pitch that argument to you. It just makes too much sense. Yeah, so I like Mike Davis more than Aaron Jones. And then we have uh, 720 Red Dog in the chat makes uh, a good point about Aaron Jones' snipe, a snap count this year. And it's also something that, that leads me towards Mike Davis more. Is that the playing time for Aaron Jones, it's not nearly as consistent as it is for Mike Davis. As he said that, uh, I think it was Aaron Jones has never played more than 71% of the snaps in a single game this year. And there have been times this season where we've seen Jamal Williams out-touch Aaron Jones in a single game. We don't have those concerns with Mike Davis with Christian McCaffrey out because Mike Davis comes pretty close to playing the Christian McCaffrey role where he's just on the field all the time. So I think that there's a lot more security in playing Mike Davis than Aaron Jones. And that shows up in the box scores too, because I mean, if you look at Aaron Jones, who scored single digit fantasy points, you know, quite a bit recently, uh, the last game against the Lions, which is a great matchup. He was fairly popular last week against Detroit. He ends up carrying the ball 15 times for 69 yards, scores nine and a half DK points. That's really not great output. Uh, Mike Davis, I know that he's had some ups and downs, except a lot of that's also been because he's had games uh, where he got hurt. He He had the game where he left early because he injured his thumb. And then there's also been games where, you know, Christian McCaffrey was there. But generally when Christian McCaffrey has been out, Mike Davis has played well. He's played uh, almost all the snaps. So I think that Mike Davis, slightly stronger play. And I also have more confidence in him getting work in the passing game than Aaron Jones because of the game script there with the Panthers likely playing from behind. I think we're going to see Mike Davis on the field a lot in the second half in passing situations. And I think this is a spot where we could see him get, you know, six to eight targets or something like that. And let's see, what has been his high point for targets? Uh, Week five against the Falcons, he was targeted 10 times. Uh, That was a game they did end up winning, but that's the kind of targets that we could see from him in a perfect game script, which I do think is going to be uh, this game on Saturday. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's just what you said that I like at the end of the day, I get like there's an aspect of maybe touchdowns. It's one argument that if you play Aaron Jones, you tap in to one of the highest implied team totals of the entire, like uh, if the entire week, not even this slate. Outside of that, which touchdowns are hard to predict, and if we are predicting them, it's probably going to be towards Devontae Adams. Outside of that, the volume, which is largely our best predictor of fantasy points in future games, it does look like it would be severely in favor of someone like Mike Davis. It's just like you said, like Aaron Jones is a committee back. He's a really good committee back, but he's probably still a committee back. Like you said, the 71% snap rate, that actually even surprised me. Like I know he doesn't get all the snaps, but even that being his peak kind of surprised me. And they have a backup and they use Jamal Williams enough that it makes me think, Am I getting what I'm paying for when playing with someone like Aaron Jones, as opposed to going with Mike Davis, who they hardly ever use his backups? And like you said, he has probably a a higher touch upside, honestly, because they use him in the exact same role they've used Christian McCaffrey. So other than the the event that like, uh, you know, we get a multi touchdown game from Aaron Jones. I think you're really you're really just playing the the target game, the the touch overall game by playing Mike Davis. And that is, in my opinion, like a long-term winning strategy. It's just buying the things that score fantasy points. So here's something else that makes this slate difficult, and it's people in the, in the Slack chat telling us, boy, running back is pretty ugly on this slate. And yes, it is. This is a very difficult slate to figure out running backs because I don't necessarily have the utmost confidence in Mike Davis or Aaron Jones. But then you get down to these lower tier running backs, and it's even harder to have confidence in those guys right now because from Denver, we've got Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay both listed as questionable. They got in limited practice. For now, I'm going to assume that they both end up playing. I just think that's the easiest way to go about approaching and talking about a day in advance because it's really hard to get into all the what-if scenarios where it's like, hey, what if Gordon's out? Well, then you play Lindsay. What if Lindsay's out? Then you just play Gordon. Then they become really strong plays. If both of them are out, then I guess, you know, like Royce Freeman becomes the guy. 
but for right now, they got limited practice on Thursday. So I'm assuming that they're both more likely to play than sit. Under that idea, who do you think is the better play to save salary with a running back between Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay? I think it probably still has to be Melvin Gordon. I don't know. I don't want to play either of these guys. Like, honestly, I think Zach Moss is like just as good of a play, if not a better play than Philip Lindsay. I guess I'll, I'll say Melvin Gordon because Philip Lindsay doesn't catch passes. Melvin Gordon sometimes does, although maybe you can credit this to Drew Locke style. Drew Locke has the second highest ADOT of all quarterbacks. Joe Flacco, number one, who would have thought? But, uh, you know, that, that second highest ADOT probably is the antithesis of a guy who's going to throw to his running backs even when they're losing. So maybe that's why we don't see a ton of targets for, for Melvin Gordon, but we see like zero for Philip Lindsay. So I think it makes more sense to go with Gordon, but truly I, I don't really want to dip into any of these guys. I think any of like Jamal Williams or Zach Moss or maybe Devin Singletary, although I don't really believe that those guys are just as good, if not better plays. And I don't think they'll be as popular. So I'll say this then, because you brought up Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams, it's not like he has no ownership. He's actually still coming in at nearly 30% on DraftKings. And then on FanDuel, it's a little lower, but still uh, pretty significant. Also 30% there. So with that in mind, how viable do you think Jamal Williams is as a leverage play off of Aaron Jones. I mean, on most slates, we've seen times where, you know, there's been Jamal Williams as a viable pivot off of, uh, or leverage play off of a chalky Aaron Jones. But it, this isn't a situation where Jamal Williams has no ownership. Both of them are pretty popular. So do you think that Jamal Williams still makes for a good play in lineups without Aaron Jones? And would you be willing to play them together? I think you could play them together. I think at that point, it's really interesting. Are you playing Devontae Adams in that lineup? My inclination would be that you you shouldn't. That just, I mean, I talked about it at the beginning of the show. Maybe you can because I've talked about how on the past two slates, I believe, they were both like onslaught slates where one team vastly outscored everyone else and even the ancillary pieces on the edges were still worth getting in over the primary pieces of worse teams. So maybe this is that kind of slate. You can go with that. I would think, though, that you're likely saying that we get like two touchdowns from Jones, one from Williams, or maybe one of them catches a ton of passes. Either way, that either requires them stealing the touchdown volume or the target volume, primarily from Devonta Adams, because that's what he thrives on. Lots of targets, lots of touchdowns. So I do think maybe that would get you on a really interesting roster construction where you saved money at one of your running back spots, and then you've also almost certainly, I think it's probably that you faded Devontae Adams. So, and even at that point, you've maybe faded Aaron Rodgers as well. I don't know if you'd be playing him in the double running back lineup. So you put yourself in a really unique position. I think it's viable. I, I don't think I'll be doing it mostly because I talked about, I don't think Aaron Jones is the best running back play. So I, I'm not really super inclined to be getting him in. That makes me a little interested in Jamal Williams. But like you said, his ownership isn't like uh, some incredible galaxy brain pivot. You know, almost a third of the field could end up being on him. I think he's decent. I, I think he's viable. I definitely wouldn't be Xing him out. I'll probably be more likely to be over the field on him than I would be on Aaron Jones because of Aaron Jones' incredible ownership, in my opinion, on him versus Mike Davis. But I don't think either Green Bay back is really going to draw like a ton of interest from me because I don't think we'd garner a ton of touchdown upside in general. But I would say like if you're, taken one if it's a committee i'm just going to take the cheaper guy like i get it's not a perfect 50 50 committee but i do think the price doesn't quite reflect how much these guys have split work all right so now i'm going to ask you a very difficult question but i'm going to answer it also so i'm not going to leave you on an island of the cheap running backs on the slate if you could only roster one of them so taking aaron jones mike davis out of the mix and basically we have our choice of the 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 last the rest of the who's who on this slate if you roster one of those cheap running backs which guy would it be any of the cheap running backs? Any of the cheap running backs. So anybody outside of Mike Davis, Aaron Jones, you can only pick one. Which of them do you think is the guy to roster? I think it's Zach Moss. I think especially because I've talked okay. about not wanting to, choosing Aaron Rodgers, probably Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams over Josh Allen. I think that means one of two things. Either Josh Allen only throws for one or two scores and other things happen, like let's say, you know, defensive touchdown essentially steals a drive or something, or the running back score. And I know two weeks ago we had, I think it was Zach Moss, like kind of botched the handoff between him and Josh Allen in his own end zone and basically got benched for the entirety of the rest of the game. It was like the one decisive number one running back game from Devin Singletary. Last week, it went back to exactly what it's been in the previous three weeks from uh, that San Francisco game where they split work, but Zach Moss once again saw the bulk of the carries, at least, you know, saw more carries than Devin Singletary. I don't think his price reflects that. 
I don't think his ownership reflects that. So I don't love him. I don't think it's a great play. But if you are looking for ways to get different that aren't like egregiously bad, like like it's like the the backup quarterback conundrum. You can play a guy who's going to be owned by 0.1% of the field, but is, are his odds uh, are even like 0.1% of hitting? I don't think it is with the backup quarterback. I do think it is with someone like Zach Moss. I think his odds of finding the end zone, and he was operating especially early in the season. I know he operated as the goal line back. Like in that first game, he stole goal line work from Devin Singletary, and we're like, well, Devin Singletary's dead. Kind of has been. So I think Zach Moss as It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Simply a bet on scoring a touchdown or maybe even two, but I would say just a touchdown is all you need. It's not only like he would be a good play in his own right, but he works as like a soft leverage play off of someone like Josh Allen, who I've already kind of made my decision that if I'm going with a quarterback, it's Aaron Rodgers. So I'm trying to find ways to ensure that like my Aaron Rodgers over Josh Allen decision is even more right. And one of those is that I need something to happen that Josh Allen doesn't score all the fantasy points. A running back touchdown could be one of those scenarios. And I think Zach Moss is a better bet at his price and ownership than Devin Singletary pretty cleanly. Yeah, so I'm going to go with Melvin Gordon, and I, I don't necessarily think that Zach Moss is unplayable or anything like that, but with that said, I, the field is kind of there on Zach Moss. I mean, they're kind of there on, on all these cheap running backs, so Zach Moss, we've projected for about 20% ownership. Melvin Gordon also projected for 20% ownership, so with that in mind, we've got two of these guys who I think that we both are not totally sure what the roles are going to be, but with that said... Melvin Gordon has been the better fantasy producer as of late. I mean, we see Zach Moss, who scored under 10 DraftKings points in four consecutive games. Melvin Gordon, who's been at least a dozen fantasy points in three of his last four games. And it looks like people just don't really want to roster Melvin Gordon on the slate. I mean, we look at of the of the running backs with the top six projected uh, projections for this week. We've got Zach Moss and Melvin Gordon. Those are the two who are lagging behind in ownership. So for whatever reason, people just aren't clicking on Melvin Gordon. I actually feel better about him than any of these other cheap running backs. Like I don't, I, I don't necessarily think that Devin Singletary is somebody who warrants having twelve percent more ownership than than Melvin Gordon does. So if Melvin Gordon ends up getting more popular by the time tomorrow afternoon's games roll around, then maybe I'll feel differently. But as of right now, I think that the ownership he's just a little bit underrepresented. Yeah, I think uh, given what we've talked about, it seems like Devin Singletary is just like the the stone worst play. And like, obviously anything can happen. I say that <laughs> as like, I don't see his odds of having a, a great game being commensurate with his ownership is all I mean when I say he's a quote bad play. I don't think that's like, uh, like, I don't want it to be misconstrued. I don't think you can't play him. I just think in terms of the odds of any given player hitting, I think his is the most uh, like overweighted by the public because he's like, I'm not a backup running back, but he's like the second running back on his team that does not run the ball at all, that doesn't want to give him red zone work. I think I'd much rather play, even at his price, Melvin Gordon, because he's going to be cheaper. Jamal Williams, because his role as a pass catcher probably more than makes up for Devin Singletary, and he's going to be lower owned. I just, the ownership on Singletary to me is weird, to say the least. Yeah, the last time Devin Singletary scored more than 12 fantasy points in a game was week four against the Raiders. So there is a point, too, where you just consider, like, what are you really missing out on by not playing Devin Singletary? And it's like, I don't know, he scores 11 fantasy points, like, realistically. I mean, at any point, you could have just a guy who has a massive fantasy game out of nowhere. But, I mean, it just hasn't been there for Devin Singletary so far this year. So it's hard for me to think that all of a sudden this is the spot that happens. And I hope it's certainly not the spot where it's a two-game slate and everybody's on him, where it's like, hey, we finally hit on Devin Singletary for the first time all year where people are just kind of forced into playing him. But on the whole, he has not been particularly good this year. So I agree with you. I think he's going over-owned. And of the running back plays on the slate, he makes for the least appealing in terms of ownership compared to the odds of being on the optimal lineup. 
All right, guys, don't forget, give us a thumbs up and please, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. It really helps us with our numbers. That's what keeps Kyle and I employed. This is what lets us come on on a Friday afternoon and talk about football is people subscribing to the channel. So go and give us a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. In terms of deals for you, NBA DFS is about to start and we're offering $1 NBA access through December 29th for all new members when you use the promo code Caruso that gives you access to everything we have to offer for the first week of the regular season, including projections, ownership projections, expert Slack chat, lineup builder, and much more. So go check that out. That is just a dollar to get involved and check out the awesome tools for the first time and for the first week of the NBA season. That's a great value to dip your toes into the waters of NBA DFS. All right, so moving over to the wide receiver position, I think we have to start here with Devontae Adams, who is by far projected to be the highest-owned player on the slate right now. We're looking at over 70% ownership for Devontae Adams. So here's the question. If you're playing multiple lineups, because, I I mean, we all know Devontae Adams is a good play, doubt about that. But I think where we have to question is, if you're making, say, 20-plus lineups, are you over or underweight to the field on that 70% ownership number? So this is a this is difficult because the past two the past two I almost called it a showdown slate because that's what it feels like. Uh, the past two slates have just been like the the chalk smashes, I believe. I believe it was uh, the Josh Allen San Francisco, and then like maybe that was Pittsburgh Washington or something, and Josh Allen crushed. It was no surprise that Bill Stacks won the day. The one before that was Deshaun Watson and versus Detroit. Deshaun Watson was popular, crushed, and those stacks won the day as well. But I do think you run into the problem that by playing Devontae Adams, not only are you playing a player who is awesome, but you're playing a player who needs at least 100 yards and a touchdown to really pay off his value here. And maybe you can say he doesn't quite need that much specifically because your alternatives, your opportunity cost is not likely to be incredibly high. Like there are unlikely to be a ton of players on a small slate like this that outscore him points per dollar or not. We're on the main slate. If Calvin Ridley at 8,200 were to go out and do nine tenths of what he does, you should have just played Calvin Ridley. That doesn't quite present itself here, but there still is the question of like, well, could I have fit, you know, an extra, could I have gone up from Curtis Samuel to Robbie Anderson by not playing Devontae Adams? I think I'm going to end up being under the field. I don't think I'm crossing them out. Like I've simply just crossed out like the chalk quarterbacks in the other showdowns or showdown, uh, the other two game slates. <laughs> I don't think I'm going that far because I think it especially makes a lot of sense when you consider that the, the Devonte Adams lineups, I'm not sure if the Josh Allen lineups are going to be playing a ton of Devonte Adams because they are already playing Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs. They're likely paying up for one of the running backs. So I still think there is like some leverage to be had in those scenarios, but I do think it's really interesting the kind of lineups you can build if you played like a Rogers Lazard lineup, and then you can fit like a multiple bills or something. You can fit all of the good running backs. You can not like uh, play a terrible tight end. Like it opens up a lot of a lot of opportunities to build what I think are still good and more importantly low owned unique lineups. I think at seventy percent I come in under the field. I'm not going zero on him. I probably have like half or more maybe. But I do think he's a player that, given his price, given his ownership, paths to failure are at least not abundant, but are, are very much in play. So you talked about something interesting there where you said, hey, you know, maybe if it isn't Devontae Allen Lazard, who could be the guy? And I think that's something else we have to talk about in lineups that don't have Devontae Adams. And by the way, I'm going to be having Devontae Adams in the majority of my lineups. He's not going to be 100% of them. So we have to discuss in the lineups that don't have him, what other guys were we rostering him? I think that Aaron Jones is one option. And then you mentioned there Alan Lazard, but somebody else who stands out to me, MVS, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who is projected for 3% ownership on a two-game slate. And we're talking about a guy who, you know, pretty high upside still. You know, last week, even with everybody there, six targets, 85 yards and a touchdown. So if that ownership holds true to tomorrow, 3% ownership on, on MVS, uh, MVS, a guy who has slate-breaking upside, that's to me somebody who's being very underrepresented in the ownership. Yeah, so they even had uh, Matt LaFleur came out last week and said Alan Lazard would be on a snap count for a while until he gets fully healthy from what it was a uh, core muscle surgery, I believe, that he was on IR with for a while. And like unsurprisingly, despite two bad games from Marquez Valdez-Scantling, that meant he went out, operated as the number two when he crushed last week. Like it is super surprising that his ownership, his price, like nothing is is being bumped. Like if he got priced up because of a good game to 5,000 and no one wanted to play him over Alan Lazard, sure, then I would get why people wouldn't be playing him. 
but it's just at th- like at three percent, the number two receiver for the like the obvious quarterback play, one of the two at least obvious quarterback plays. He's going to be on the field close to every down, running like very high volatility, which means high upside deep routes. Like he only needs two, three targets. Like I do think he has like a two catch for over a hundred yard game and a touchdown on his resume. Like he has, as you said, slate breaking upside by a considerable margin. Like he is probably one of the easiest players to point to in this slate and say like, well, if anyone's going to get it done on just a handful of targets, it would be him. His ownership is egregious. Like it's a two game slate and people don't want to go to Aaron Rodgers number two receiver. It makes so much sense. Like the field's at three, I'll probably be at like 30. So then talking about some of the other guys here, uh, Stefan Diggs, 7,900. Um, here's the issue I had with Diggs. That is a really expensive price tag for a guy who, even though he's been, you know, very, very good this year, he's coming off a solid game. To me, I'd rather pay up the extra 1500 to get to Devontae Adams and Stefan Diggs also very popular. So if I'm going to one of the more expensive wide receiver options on the slate, I'm, I'm more prone to roster Adams to Diggs. What do you make of him at 7,900? And then something else I'll bring up is I think that Cole Beasley is one of the best cheap plays on this entire slate at 4,700. So comparing prices, I'd rather have Cole Beasley be the wide receiver I go to for the Bills than Stefan Diggs. So which of them do you prefer on a per dollar basis, Stefan Diggs or Cole Beasley? Yeah, it's what you said. It's clearly Cole Beasley. This Stefan Diggs price is like he's a he's the number two player on, on this, uh, at least wide receiver, on this slate. That's pretty evident. But at, like you said, 1500 more, you get one of the best wide receivers in, in like recent years. It's, it's 1500 more and the ownership is a bit more, but I think the, the ways to leverage Adams, it feels like are much more slim than the ways to leverage Stephon Dix. Like it is very possible that, I mean, we've seen it multiple times, I believe with John Brown out that Cole Beasley goes out for a hundred and touchdown. If that eats into Diggs' workload enough where he just doesn't score the touchdown or he gets 90 yards and doesn't get that hundred yard bonus on DraftKings, the guys on his team are just so much more likely to eat into his volume. And they're so cheap. Gabriel Davis at 4k Cole Beasley's price at 4,700 is egregious. I would much rather pay the, the same price or the same ownership essentially it's about five percent different or so and way less of a price to go to Cole Beasley and at like less than a fifth of the field even Gabriel Davis I think is a better tournament play specifically than Stephon Dix I think that's going to be my approach with uh, the Bills is that for like for Gabriel Davis and Cole Beasley to pay off it doesn't require a lot for Stephon Diggs to pay off, it does require a lot. And I've already said I'm playing a lot of Rodgers. I'm probably coming within 10 to 20% of the field on Devontae Adams, which is to say I'm having still a well over a majority of him. Because of that, I am necessarily placing a bet on Josh Allen. And if you were playing uh, against Josh Allen, and if you're playing Josh Allen, you can think about this from the reverse perspective of you're betting against Rodgers and you're betting against Adams. For me, if you're betting against Allen, it's difficult to bet on Diggs because if Diggs has a day that makes his price viable he probably had, you know, 120 yards, 130 in a touchdown. That makes it fairly likely that, you know, at least 120 or 130 in a touchdown, given that he's likely having to beat Adams. That makes it fairly likely that Josh Allen went out and had a really good day. If I haven't played Allen, I necessarily, like, I don't think that I should be playing a ton of digs. It's not like they are a one-to-one correlation. So I don't think it is downright wrong to play Stephon Diggs without Allen. But it's just something that I'm not necessarily looking to do when I can play a Cole Beasley or Gabriel Davis at a cheap price, and they don't need that 120 in a touchdown. They need like 40 in a touchdown or something. So we do have some key injury news at the wide receiver position. That is that Curtis Samuel, he's listed as questionable play, a limited practice for him on Thursday. I figure we'll have a little bit more information on him in the next couple hours or so. But as of right now, Curtis Samuel listed as questionable to play. If he is out, from the from the Carolina side of the game. I think it's probably going to be Farrell Cooper. Uh, we saw Cooper play not a ton last week, but he had a role, ended up targeting, getting targeted three times, caught all three of those passes for 52 yards. So I think that he is the value wide receiver I'm looking at from the Panthers should Curtis Samuel get rolled out. Do you see it any differently, or is Cooper somebody that you would be willing to roster without, without Curtis Samuel in? I think he would be the guy who gets the the most run if Samuel is out. Although, does he get enough run that I'm really considering playing him too much? I still think I wouldn't be a ton on him. Although, I would imagine that his ownership, like he's the type of guy like when, uh, you know, when we get the clear number one receiver is out, like if Devontae Adams pulled up on the COVID list, we would get a lot of ownership on Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and Alan Lazard. 
if Curtis Samuels ruled out, I don't think that kind of ownership trickle down happens. I think people are not quite to that level <laughs> where they're adjusting their projections to like, okay, this number four receiver is getting this target share and at his salary, that's a really good price. So I think I'd maybe have a small amount of someone like Cooper in, in tournaments. I don't think I would be like particularly keen to play him because they do have two receivers that through like the, the middle part of the season had rendered Samuel as like a rushing touchdown or bus player. Although Samuel more recently did end up actually taking on a pretty significant role. So Cooper would be interesting. I think he'd be worth some flyers in tournaments because I don't think people would be like, it's kind of a projection thing. You need to have like a, like pretty accurate up to the minute projections to get to someone like Cooper in your lineups because of that. Like, I don't think the, like the bulk of the field in large field tournaments is doing that level of essentially nitpicking. So given that I, I am doing that level of nitpicking, I think he'd be worth a little bit of leverage in tournaments because he'd be on the field a lot in a game where they should be throwing a lot. That's a lot of PPR potential. That's even, you know, maybe some touchdown potential in the better overall game environment. So I, I'd maybe have a little bit of him. I'd probably be over the field because I don't think the field would really recognize it much at all. But I do think it would just be more of a, a bump, honestly, for DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. I think we would just see a massive amount of targets funnel to them. So something that we've seen a little bit in the chat, and oddly a player I've been getting a lot of questions about over the last is people seem to really be high on Jerry Judy, and even though he never does anything. People earlier were saying like, oh, Jerry Judy as one of the top value plays on the slate. I mean, to me, Jerry Judy, just listen to his DraftKings points over the last few weeks. Six, one, zero, and six. Uh, over the last three games, four targets, four targets, one target. So last week, even with Drew Locke going off and having arguably the best game of his career, uh, super efficient, 280 passing yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, barely had any incompletions on the day. We still got almost nothing out of Jerry Judy in that spot. I, I'm just not somebody who is investing my money in, in Jerry Judy. There are other cheap wide receiver options I'd rather go to. I'd rather go to Marcus Valdez-Scantling, who we talked about before. I mean, we've got Jerry Judy projected for nearly 20% ownership. Then we've got MVS for $300 more at 4% ownership. And then you just look at the production of, of Valdez-Scantling also over the course of the season over the last few weeks. He's been the much better fantasy option. There's a lot more ceiling there, at least that I perceive based on what we've seen them do on the field. So can you get on board with Jerry Judy? Are you like me where you're somebody who's like, I, I just don't invest my money in a wide receiver who's a rookie, has a questionable quarterback, and has not really done very much of shit? I feel like I was very I was very leading you there. Say so like, hey, Jerry Judy's kind of been bad. Do you agree with me? Or, or, or are you going to totally disagree and say you're, you're putting your hard-earned money on Jerry Judy lineups? Yeah, no, I'm not playing like the number three receiver for Drew Locke. Like, I mean, it's like, it sounds like, uh, you know, derogatory to call him the number three receiver. It sounds like it's like doing, exaggerating and making a point. It hardly is. Like he's splitting role, like the number one role, like not at all. Like he's basically operated as at best, like the two or three in recent weeks. He had like a middle of the season, like I think it was the game versus Atlanta where he saw like pretty significant spikes, but then hey, J- KJ Hamler was like out targeting in games. Now it's been Tim Patrick who's been scoring touchdowns at a crazy clip. I just think like we have no level. The best thing you can say about him is we have no level of certainty on how the receiving tree is going to break out. The worst thing you can say is that it looks at least probable that at best he's the number two. And that doesn't even factor in someone like Noah Fant getting targets potentially. So I think your the target volume that you buy with someone like Judy is so minimal when you can probably tap into a very similar amount of targets by playing Tim Patrick, by playing KJ Hamler on his own team. And like, if like Farrell Cooper value opened up or like DJ Moore, all of these guys will get as many, if not more targets, all of whom like anyone else in the slate too, is getting targets from a better quarterback in my opinion. So I really like you're buying low targets, low efficiency, low touchdown probability because they have the worst implied team total of the slate. I, I I'm with you. I can't really like make any argument to play for Jerry Judy. The only one you could make is that he's not going to be owned, but we have his ownership projection like at a, a 17%. I don't actually don't even think that's efficient. I, I think KJ Hamler, Marcus Valdez, Scantling, even Alan Lazard just below him are all like better plays at lower ownership. And moving over to the tight end position now. And to be honest, I'm not even sure that tight end is going to matter on this slate. I think that the chances of any of these guys having a big game is probably pretty slim. So we've got most of the field is rostering uh, Noah Font or, or Robert Tunyon. These guys are eating up about 80% of the ownership. And then we've got the rest of it going to Dawson Knox. So with that considered, who is your favorite overall tight end play on the slate? To me, I think this is something that we could bang our heads against the wall against for 
really forever trying to figure out like, oh, how do I want to allocate ownership of the tight end position? Who do I want to roster? How much exposure do I want to get to him? And then the, the slate's going to finish with all of them scoring six fantasy points and it just doesn't matter. So I, 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 I'm probably going to spread my ownership out amongst these guys fairly evenly. And then I, I don't really think it's going to be all that significant. Do you feel that one of these tight ends is a much better play than the other tight ends on the slate? No, not a much better play. I think maybe Robert Tanyan, Tanyan as, he, as he's called, would be the best potential because I think he has like a pretty, especially with the way like the, the Denver targets have shaken out that no player really dominates targets. I don't think you get a massive, like I think last year we were actually kind of excited to play Noah Fant because he had the potential to be like in any given game, his team's number one receiver and rack up 10 plus targets. That really hasn't seemed to be his ceiling at all. Like I'm not sure if he's even hit like 15 DraftKings points in a game this year. It's truly been, he just operates like, like, like a Dawson Knox or whatever, like any other middling tight end, whereas at least Robert Tanyan is attached to the hip to the best touchdown thrower, one of the two best touchdown throwers in the league. If he goes out and has a multi-touchdown game, that will like lap the field by miles. And I think he's almost the only player on this slate that has that kind of upside. But in terms of ownership and price, you're paying for it mostly. So I don't think it's a massive advantage over the field. I think maybe the the easiest fate is someone like Noah Fant for the exact same arguments we made against Jerry Judy. It's an offense we're not targeting. The target, like the literal targets he gets are, are not very plentiful. Like you, I don't think you take that much of a hit by pivoting down to Dawson Knox, who will be cheaper, lower owned, and honestly, as a quarterback, who's more likely to throw a touchdown to him. So one guy I think is pretty interesting here, and he's been brought up in the in the YouTube chat, and I actually do think he makes for a decent GPP play, is Ian Thomas, who's min-priced 2,500 at the tight end position. Under under the scenario where Curtis Samuel is out, and like I don't think that's going to massively skew ownership where people are going to be like, hey, I need a roster, some other cheap uh, pass catcher on on the Panthers in that situation. But still, if you look at how bad the other tight end options are on the slate, Ian Thomas is a guy who last week had four, caught three of them for 20 yards. That's not crazy production, obviously, by any means. But I think that that's enough for me to look at him and say, like, hey, if this is a situation where Curtis Samuel's out, we need to figure out where those extra targets are going in a game where we expect Teddy Bridgewater to throw the ball a decent amount. And I think that Ian Thomas at his price point is, is a pretty viable tight end option. Do you have any interest in him to save salary with? Yeah, if, if Curtis Samuel doesn't play, I actually do think it becomes interesting because like you said, we saw last week, it wasn't Samuel, it was more that uh, like on the off chance that that does happen, four to five targets. Basically, I think playing Ian Thomas is a bet on none of the tight ends scoring a touchdown. If no tight end score a touchdown, because I don't think Thomas is awfully likely to, you will probably just want the cheapest one. Like there will be a very minimal advantage. Like it will be a disadvantage because of the price in playing Robert Tanyan's five for 50, as opposed to Ian Thomas's three for 30, the price that that gives you. And at the ownership, like who cares about the two points or whatever, the two or three points, assuming none of them score touchdowns. And if Ian Thomas does score a touchdown, he's probably almost certainly the best play. So I think that is a very, and that's a very viable bet to make specifically is what I guess I need to end this with is it's very possible that we go out, no tight end score touchdowns, and you gained nothing except losing salary by playing Tanya and by playing Fant. So I think that's a worthwhile bet to make. If in the event that Curtis Samuel does not play, I think if he does play, like we basically saw a zero ceiling. It was like a five or six point ceiling essentially from Ian Thomas before the role he played in last week, which still wasn't great, but it was good enough. So I think if Curtis Samuel is out, I'd be interested. If he's in, I'm not sure. I'd probably rather go to Dawson Knox. All right, and then going to the defenses, I rarely have a strong take on defense. I'll just say this. The Carolina Panthers, I understand that nobody really wants to roster them because you look at the defenses on this slate and you go, the matchups that they're going up against the Panthers have by far the most difficult one. Therefore, nobody wants to roster them. But only 5% ownership for the Panthers. I think that their odds of ending up in the optimal lineup are greater than 5% just because defensive scoring happens to be so random. And all it, all it takes is a punt return for a touchdown which we've seen on a two-game slate happen already this year. Or you see, you know, a, a fumble. There's some f- fluky play that leads to a defensive touchdown. And that's ultimately something that could end up making or breaking a, a, a GPP lineup. So 5% Panthers, I wouldn't totally sleep on them. I think that if you're making multiple lineups, it makes sense to have them, you know, say like 10% or something like that. So slightly more than the field. Other than that, not really strong defense takes. It's generally a very random position that's difficult to, to predict. So I'm more apt to go to one of the lower-owned defenses that nobody's on on a two-game slate like this. How do you feel about the defenses? Is there one that stands out to you? It's like, oh, I, I have to have this defense. 
No, I think for the most part, unless there was some truly atrocious pricing, that would be like, that would be a perfect way to tell someone who's selling you snake oil if they can try and if they think they can predict defensive outcomes, because it's exactly as you said, defensive outcomes are based on like the most random events in football, I would imagine, which are defense and special teams touchdowns, just incredibly hard to predict. And and like you said, even if you don't believe that this Panthers defense is capable of, of taking a pick six from Aaron Rodgers. That's fine. They still have avenues on punt returns. So just if no defense scores a touchdown, the games all kind of score a decent amount of points. You save money and maybe you picked up a few sacks and the game hit the under. So I believe that at their ownership, it's exactly as you said. Do I think at the most random position in football on a four game slate, one defense is a one in 20 chance of making the optimal lineup, not even leading the slate in scoring, just fitting. Maybe it fits you the better players. It allows you to get up to one player that scored more. I think it's more than 5%. So I, I think that, I mean, the Broncos, because I'm not playing, again, it's my argument of not playing Josh Allen, you should find ways to double down on that bet to correlate the rest of your lineup, essentially, with one very strident bet you made in the beginning, which would, for me, be that something happens and Josh Allen doesn't play particularly well, just not well enough to beat out Rodgers, essentially. So the Broncos defense, I'd probably end up being over the field on because of the decisions I've already made, but it's not because I think they're like some, you know, great advantageous mismatch against uh, Josh Allen or something. I just think I've made decisions that already make me more apt to do that. All right. So that is wrapped up all of the positions and whatnot. So let's just hit on this before we finish the show. Number one, what is your favorite GPP stack on the entire slate? My favorite GPP stack is going to be a Teddy Bridgewater, at least single stack, probably a double stack, though. I just think, like, like especially if Curtis Samuel gets rolled out, but even honestly, if he doesn't, we were seeing so much of their volume concentrated to two to three players in a given game, typically Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore. Sometimes it was Curtis Samuel. Sometimes it was a running back that you capture so much like PPR potential. And if they just score two touchdowns or Teddy Bridgewater rushes one in that you have allowed yourself to then play Devonte Adams in a lineup that is not popular anywhere else, essentially, at least in the context of a two game slate that you're building yourself a unique, but I still think high upside roster by going a Teddy Bridgewater double stack, run it back with, you know, Devonte Adams. And you can even run it back with like multiple Packers, honestly, because if the Packers keep it close, or I guess if the if the Panthers keep it close, that probably means the two teams scored a similar amount of touchdowns and you would just want the cheaper quarterback in the game. So I think even like a Devonte Adams, you know, Marquez Valdez-Scanling or Devonte Adams, Robert Tunyon, and then run it back with multiple Panthers and Teddy Bridgewater, stack this game and just say it scores vastly more than the other game it is going to be the the concept I'm most over the field on. Yeah, so give me Aaron Rodgers to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Uh, I, I have a pretty strong inclination that, that MVS is going to have more ownership when we get updated projections tomorrow. But if it doesn't change, I mean, getting a guy with that kind of upside on a two-game slate is pretty ridiculous. MVS, 4,200, projected for 3.7% ownership right now. That's just way too low for a guy that we've seen with the kind of upside to catch a 60-yard touchdown pass. We've seen him over the over the last month have games 85 yards in touchdown, 149 yards in touchdown, 53 yards and two touchdowns. So we're talking about a guy who's a boom-bust play and nobody's on him in GPPs as of now. So I think that is the kind of upside that I'm looking for on low ownership on a two-game slate. So that's going to wrap up the show. Guys, please do us a favor. Thumbs up on the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and stick around because later on in the day, we have Lofi and Alex Baker with a special guest doing their On the Contrary show, going over all the stuff for the main slate on Sunday. And that is definitely something you're going to want to check out. And then also follow us on Twitter at awesomeo underscore com and then at awesomeo NFL on Twitter.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.